Welcome to the Linder Farm Network Field Talk Podcast. I'm your host, Dan Lemke. These are certainly interesting times in the soybean industry. Cash prices are high as weather issues in South America have reduced the size of the soybean crop in portions of Brazil and Argentina. The U.S. set a new record for exports during the 2020-2021 marketing year, a record 61.65 million metric tons or more than 2.2 billion bushels of whole soybeans were shipped to markets across the globe at a value of over $28 billion. Meanwhile, demand for soybean oil to make biodiesel and renewable diesel grows as states like California establish low-carbon fuel that's leading to plans for increased soy crushing capacity in the Midwest. Today, Kim Nill, Market Development Director for Minnesota Soybean, joins us to dive deeper into what this all means for the soybean industry and for Minnesota's soybean farmers. Uh, I am the staff support person for our uh, what's called our promotion action team. And this is approximately 11 of the grower leaders on uh, both of our soy boards. And they uh, sift through uh, proposed projects put forth by contractors and decide which to to fund. And again, the goal per the the title of that team is any and all mm, efforts that can be defined in the, the realm of promotion that either domestically or overseas will uh, increase sales and thereby uh, lift, hopefully, the price of soybeans received by our farmers. Now, I imagine in in that realm, there's quite a range of different projects, different areas that you work in. Touch on a couple of the the areas of projects that uh, perhaps you guys have supported. Sure. It ranges all over the map. So uh, by sheer coincidence, yesterday, the Office of the U.S. Trade Representative issued what it calls its uh, 2021 report to Congress on w- China's WTO compliance. And uh, we had a part in that because uh, back in October when they asked for written comments, uh, we actually wrote up comments about some unfair uh, trade barriers that China has that hinder our exports to China of soybeans and uh, are working, uh, again, with the U.S. Trade Representative to try to get those barriers reduced, which would increase sales and, again, uh, result in higher prices for for Minnesota uh, soybean farmers. So that's uh, on the the trade barrier side of the spectrum. All the way on the other side of the spectrum, uh, we make investments in uh, several other commodity exporting groups, export promotion groups, like the U.S. Meat Export Federation. And so we fund a large project there, and they have people on the ground in Japan uh, doing really good and innovative promotion of uh, sales of uh, primarily fresh chilled pork, which is very popular in Japan. But they have uh, everything from in-store display work to uh, 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 social media ads, and they even have a a cute uh, pork uh, pork. character, uh, not all that dissimilar to Porky Pig from the 1950s, but he's called Gochipo and uh, has really helped uh, uh, there. And so uh, U.S. pork sales to Japan, I'm happy to report, are running 7% ahead of last year. 
Awesome. Now, obviously, we produce a lot of soybeans here in the U.S., so whether they're exported as whole beans or as meal and oil or, you know, on the hoof, so to speak. I mean, all these things take some development. They, they take some effort. They, they don't just happen. How important is it that, you know, groups like Minnesota Soybean are involved in to, you know, helping to, to support, to fund and, and to push some of these things forward? I think it's crucially important. Now, the companies, you know, uh, that sell each of those things, of course, engage in their own marketing. But my title is director of uh, uh, market development. And that's why it includes uh, everything from uh, fighting unfair trade barriers to uh, uh, helping with with direct promotion all the way to cartoon characters uh, for pork, which, again, is one step removed from, from the soybeans and soy meal that, that of course, are most directly applicable to us. But the promotion uh, aspects of it are often behind the scenes. Many people uh, don't even know that we spend a bit of time on fighting trade barriers. We also do things behind the scenes uh, to work on standards, so standards creation, uh, or lack thereof, can actually hinder uh, exports or even sales in the U.S. as well. Uh, with funding uh, from the National uh, Checkoff Board, uh, for instance, there is a, a high oleic soybean oil that that national board has been working to promote for some time, uh, but they had never uh, ever gotten uh, the relevant standard established for it. So that was hindering it, certainly in terms of exports, but even inside the U.S., everybody, you know, from Kentucky Fried Chicken to other fryers, uh, they decide on and, and, and make decisions on which oil they're going to buy, which oil they're going to blend, what they're going to fry their things in, based on standards issued by something called Codex Alimentarius. Really unknown to the average U.S. consumer, it's actually uh, an agency within the United Nations. And... Uh, Something like 200 country members, they all get together, their food, safety, food uh, uh, experts, et cetera, uh, set up these standards. So Minnesota Soybean personally had to get involved to get that standard going. Uh, again, uh, cleaning up, uh, uh, if you will, uh, an oversight that the National Soy Checkoff Board had overlooked. Now, obviously, we produce much more than we use here in the in the state of Minnesota as far as soybeans go, and a lot are shipped out as whole beans. Tell me a little bit about how exports, you know, both Minnesota or globally, have been going, you know, of recent months. Has this been a good time for? I realize, obviously, we're not in the 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 growing season right now. We're you know watching South America closely with that. But how have exports been for soybeans? Well, we, uh, the statistical agencies of the U.S. government only recently uh, were able to answer that question. Uh, so we have a marketing year for uh, soybeans. It goes, I believe, uh, September 1 to, to August 31 each year, and for meal 30 days later. Anyway, they've compiled the statistics. We exported uh, during uh, marketing year 21, we exported a record amount of soy. Uh, so that was good news. Uh, but following that, so from September 30 to now, uh, uh, you know, again, we're, we're, we're largely watching South America, as you had said. 
by by this time now, we don't have all that many beans left because we've exported a lot. But for those farmers who still have those, uh, a drought uh, in South America, among other things, has actually made the beans that are still in their bins uh, a, a bit more valuable. So they're they're smiling. Uh, but I don't want to discount market development efforts as well. Uh, we, uh, we or uh, the United, U.S. Soybean Export Council, which we also fund a bit, are active in approximately 70 countries around the globe. And the ones that can really move the, the, the price upward would be brand new countries, if you will. Well, these are, these are going to be lesser known places. Everybody loves China, 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 but quite frankly... Export, soy tonnage exports to China were down last year, and uh, yet you heard me say that overall we had record exports. So uh, through efforts, uh, as I mentioned, we, we had to overcome the fact that China's uh, purchases of U.S. soybeans and soybean meal last year went down. Now with the price run up, you know, they, the, the, the value number was still higher than the previous year, but hidden within that was a decrease in tonnage. So uh, the U.S. Soybean Export Council, for instance, is working in Nigeria, a brand new place, if you will. And uh, we have been uh, uh, working on ancillary projects uh, in Central Asia, several countries there. Uh, uh, nothing, uh, no sales yet, but, but laying the groundwork for it. And, and again, uh, it has the nice effect of if, Soybean exports to China decline again next year. We'll have new places to put them and keep prices up. Now, domestically, we were chatting a little bit ago about uh, you know, the demand for um, renewable fuels, especially in places like California and Oregon, where the low-carbon fuel standards are creating demand for fuels like biodiesel and especially renewable diesel, which will, um, you know, has a lot of folks interested, uh, additional crushing plants being discussed or being built to handle more soybeans. Um, if some of this happens, how does that change the dynamic of the soybean market as we're sitting here today? Well, as you noticed, uh, noted and, and said, uh, the financial incentives for the, the new fuel called uh, renewable diesel are just so lucrative that it has resulted in uh, announcements of big new crushing plants that will be built in the United States uh, all the way from Canada. I'm sorry, yeah, from the Canadian border south to Kansas, virtually every one of the states except Minnesota has had announcements that they'll have a, a brand new large uh, capacity. And in general, they're always aiming for the oil to go to the, the renewable diesel market because of the lucrative subsidies to it. We have been uh, uh, very interested in following this because when they crush for that oil, uh, if all those plants are built that have been announced, the U.S. is going from being uh, going to go from being predominantly an exporter of whole soybeans to an exporter of soybean meal. We'll have to. The math is simply such that we will have to. There aren't enough animals, and foreseeably won't ever be enough animals to use up that massive new mountain of soybean meal coming. So. So be it, but, but this will put us in far more direct competition with uh, the country of Argentina, which has long been the primary exporter in the world of soybean meal, and we're going to have to go head-to-head -head with them in many markets if we're going to export the amount of soybean meal that we must export 
Again, always with the caveat of if these plants do truly get built. We know from uh, previous waves uh, of years ago in the soy industry, sometimes there are uh, periods of exuberance in which far more crushing capacity is announced and looks like it'll get built, and then a short time later, maybe uh, you know, cooler heads prevail and not so much. But it will be fascinating, again, if these plans come to fruition that have been formally announced as a done deal and that we're going to have crushing plants, it will change and turn the world's export markets for soybean meal on their heads. It will, it will change uh, how people think of the United States because right now they primarily think of us as a soybean exporter. In fact, it's only to a very small number of countries that the U.S. has ever exported soybean meal to. And uh, so, so, again, that's going to have to change if all these crushing plants do indeed come to pass. So a little pump the brakes uh, on some of this enthusiasm might, um, might not be a bad approach. Well, it certainly won't be done by me or my organization. Uh, we, are, we are pleased to see any and all uh, attention paid to, to our industry and expansion plans made to process our soybeans. And uh, our farmers, I think, are to a person uh, always of the motto, we can grow more if they'll just pay us enough. And, and I'm not, uh, you know, putting your your enthusiasm for it down, but there, there it needs to be done. Um, you know, th- there's some questions that need to be answered and some reasonable standards applied to this. Is that what I'm saying? <laughs> Well placed. So we're obviously hearing a lot about transportation issues, supply chain issues, you know, containers. And I understand that that probably affects more maybe food grade and and some of the the other products such as the chilled pork and things like that, that that we export. Have there been bottlenecks as far as moving the bulk soy products or has that relatively uh, gone unscathed at this point? I think there's been uh, bottlenecks uh, for all categories of all products in this. So, for instance, one of the biggest bottlenecks is just an unusual one, and that is of milk-processed products. And again, remember, we our soy meal is fed to South Dakota dairy cows, and I, I, I know that South Dakota in particular, companies there have complained very loudly and publicly that they lost uh, sales to Asia of uh, things such as powdered whey and powdered other milk products because they simply could not get the cargo containers. And most people have seen in the news that, uh, you know, the, the container ships parked off of Long Beach and other West Coast ports. Well, what they don't know is, uh, in addition to that, even when they get them unloaded, uh, we've had a lot of problem with the shipping companies don't want to let those cargo containers come in all the way to South Dakota or Minnesota, be filled with either soybeans, soy meal, or something that came from feeding that. Uh, and so we've had a lot of bottlenecks and a lot of products that have been literally marooned in some cases up here, you know, in the Dakotas and Minnesota in particular. Uh, one of the positive things that has happened recently is uh, in the port of Duluth they had never been able to uh, receive or send out these brand new uh, I'm sorry not brand new these large ships that contain as many as 1,000 cargo containers 
So uh, thankfully, uh, they, they worked with the Department of Homeland Security, which actually had to move people to Duluth because incoming and outgoing Department of Homeland Security, of course, has to inspect these things, make sure there's not nasty things in them, et cetera. But that was recently announced, and we're hopeful that, again, uh, exports of both bulk and then food-type soybeans can go out through this new channel that's being opened in, in the way of uh, 1,000 container ships leaving Duluth. And then finally, Kim, obviously cultivating relationships is you know, it's important for trade, and, and we've been, you know, in COVID situation. I understand now there's there is a USEC team overseas, but uh, is there optimism that again you'll have maybe farmers going to visit customers and and some of those customers coming to check out Minnesota farms here this coming season? The topic of trade teams has been really challenging the past few years. Uh, in addition to COVID restrictions, we now have. Uh, uh, ancillary threats. So for instance, I had a, a, a contractor working in the Middle East recently, and he went into Dubai, fine, he'd been vaccinated and got tested and that worked out. But when he was going to come out of Dubai, they required testing again, he tested positive, it was a false positive, because he never got sick. But he still had to stay and remain uh, a guest in a locked hotel room <laughs> for about six days. And, uh, you know, different people have the capacity for that, but especially our grower leaders have have really been, uh, if you will, uh, dissuaded away from uh, resuming uh, their trips overseas because, you know, it's it's tough enough for a a farmer to get away, say, for a week-long trip, but to then risk having to spend another week or two over there is just, you know, really, really tough unless you're on a farm where you have a lot of brothers or cousins or something to cover if you uh, get stuck in that. Now, for the incoming teams, they face the same thing. So, for instance, uh, before COVID, we'd have lots of processing plant uh, people would come and visit Minnesota farms. They now are doing that same calculus, you know, Will we get marooned over here or, or and then, you know, they have to each decide, you know, so it's no longer the question of can I go to Minnesota on a really interesting tour of their farms for a week? You have to mentally prepare for maybe two or three weeks just if you get caught with these false positives or heaven forbid a real positive test. So things uh, inching their way back to normal, but still far from uh, business as usual. Again, well said. And then uh, we're going to inch our way back to, uh, when we get there, we're going to inch our way back to uh, a concern which never left us. And that is that an awful lot of countries still have an infectious disease of pigs known as uh, African swine fever. And so the National Pork Producers Council has recently reminded all of us who host incoming trade teams that we still need, will need to follow, you know, measures to try to prevent bringing that into the United States when we have these incoming uh, overseas groups start to come in again. So always an interesting uh, industry, I guess. So if folks are interested in learning more about what you're up to, where would be a good place for them to go? Well, your best bet would be to uh, uh, Google uh, the website for the Minnesota Soybean Pro- uh, Research and Promotion Council. And you'll find we have uh, a lot of super interesting stuff posted there. 
Thanks for listening. This has been the Field Talk Podcast brought to you by the Linder Farm Network. Be sure to check out our other podcasts available at linderfarmnetwork.com and sign up for our free weekly newsletter. And as always, get the latest in farm news and markets on your local Linder Farm Network affiliate.